Well, good morning and welcome to Yumpville Community Church. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here. Uh, we are so pleased that you have joined us this morning uh, as we worship together, as we hear God's Word, and as we join in prayer to the one who loves us. I wanted you to know that I haven't been very well this week, and so we're going back into the sermon archives to a message I preached right at the beginning of the COVID shutdown last year. It's heartening to know that many things have changed since then. Uh, we've got a lot more answers about the coronavirus, uh, and thanks to God, much better treatments and a vaccine. Uh, the other thing that has changed is our church building. Uh, you'll see in a moment what the construction site looked like in March 2020, so more than a year ago. Uh, we're now just a few weeks away from being finished, and uh, we're really excited to unveil it all as soon as we're able. Uh, so make sure you head to our website, www yonvillechurch.org and fill in a connect card to receive all of the latest updates about that reopening and of course all the church news. While so much has changed in the last 12 months, what hasn't changed is the faithfulness of our God and the unchanging nature of his word. And so I hope that this sermon from Psalm 16 reminds you of the God who leads us through every path of life today and every day. Well, a couple of years ago, my family got to go on a mission trip to Fiji with our church's year 12 school leavers. Uh, they needed chaperones. Somebody had to go with them. Tough job, huh? Uh, it was a great trip. We served in an orphanage. Uh, we served at a women's shelter and we did uh, a homestay in a Fijian village for a long weekend. We also got a little vacation at the end uh, and Fiji, as you can imagine, doesn't disappoint. Uh, we took the team to an island resort for four days. Basically, this tiny desert island with uh, white beaches in the middle of crystal blue waters. Uh, you could walk all the way around the island in about 20 minutes. We had this entire island to ourselves. It was idyllic. Even better, our family got to stay on one side of the island in this cute little hut on the beach uh, on the sunrise side of the island and all the students were over the other side on the sunset uh, side of the, the island. The only catch was that to get from sunset to sunrise, you had to go through a narrow jungle pathway for about 300 yards or so. During the day, it was okay. Uh, there were vines and bananas and pawpaws and a little bit of shade from the hot Fijian sun. But at nighttime, well, the Fijian guy who showed us the path to our room, he said, you can never go on the pathway at nighttime. You have to go around the outside of the island. And we were a little bit concerned. What was in the middle of the island that came out at night? What might be waiting on the pathway uh, if you did venture down it in the dark? Were there spiders? Were there giant mangrove crabs? Were there sea snakes? Now, for those of you who've watched Lost, perhaps it was polar bears. What was waiting down the pathway to Sunrise Beach at nighttime? Well, we're not sure because we never found out. Uh, in today's passage from Psalm 16, the psalmist talks about the path of life. Uh, we all know that life's path is not always smooth. Uh, sometimes there are nasty surprises hiding around the corner. But in this psalm, we hear the way that David, the psalmist, entrusts himself to God no matter what the path of life might hold. So why don't we pray and then we'll open Psalm 16 in detail. Our Heavenly Father, as we hear your word now, help us to hear you speak. Will you calm our fears? Help us to trust you no matter what our life's path might hold. 
Help us to take these words into our own prayer life. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, just so you know, I have three big ideas from the psalm today. A danger, desire, and destiny. Uh, there might be a fourth one, but you'll have to wait and see what it is. So, danger. The psalm starts with David in some kind of danger. Uh, you can see it there in verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. What kind of danger was David in? Uh, we don't really know. And the psalm doesn't give any further detail. But it seems to have been life-threatening danger. In verse 10, David speaks about being abandoned to the realm of the dead. This is a real and present danger for David. And coming to God in prayer, he seeks refuge in the only one who can help him. That is, he seeks refuge in the Lord. Uh, for David, his life was full of dangers. Uh, as a young shepherd boy on the hills, he'd been alone uh, with his sheep. He'd had to fight off wild animals, uh, wolves, bears, lions. He'd faced the giant Goliath as a teenager with nothing but a, a, a sling and some stones. He'd spent months or perhaps longer on the run from King Saul who wanted to kill him. Uh, perhaps that is the context for our psalm. Uh, perhaps it was later in life when David was on the run from his own son, Absalom. Maybe Psalm 16 is the prayer of an old man facing the final enemy, death. Uh, we're not sure. I'm sure if it mattered, David would have told us what danger he was facing, but he doesn't. Instead, for the rest of the psalm, we see how David turns his focus to what God has done for him and what God will do. You know, I think in this psalm we see the inner workings of David's mind as he convinces himself that God is his only refuge. So let's take a look at the second section, desire, verses 2 to 6. Uh, a few years ago, a book came out uh, called You Are What You Love. That's by Jamie Smith, one of my favorite books. Uh, Jamie is a Christian man, a philosophy professor at Calvin College uh, here in the U.S. Uh, in his book, he argues that we are built for worship and we will worship whatever it is that we set our love upon. The problem, he says, is this. God has created us for himself and our hearts are designed to find their end in him alone. And yet many of us spend our days restlessly craving after rival gods, are frenetically pursuing rival kingdoms. The subconscious longings of our hearts are aimed and directed elsewhere. Our orientation is askew. Our erotic compass mis malfunctions, giving us false bearings. And when this happens, the results can be disastrous. Our problem, Smith says, is that in our sinful nature, we have our love set on things other than God. And so we desire the wrong things. We worship the wrong things. But he argues that we can retrain our hearts to love God, and we do so by forming habits, are the right kinds of habits of worship towards God. And I think David knows this too. That's why he reminds himself in this prayer of who God is to him and what God has done. Look at verse 2 with me. David says to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. David starts that retraining of his heart by reminding himself who God is. God is his Lord. God is his master. God is his king. And that makes David a servant 
of the king, a servant of God, a subject of God. This is a bold thing for a worldly king to say, a one who has great power in his own right. Instead, here he reminds himself who the true king is. It's the Lord, David's own Lord, who gives him everything he has. Apart from you, I have no good thing, David says. All he has comes from the Lord. Whether we're talking about David at the height of his kingship or David hiding in a cave while Saul pursues him. Wherever David is, whatever life throws at him, he knows that he has nothing except for what God has given him. In feast or famine, David reminds himself who it is that provides for him. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to you from Matthew chapter 6 about money and where we find our security. None of us could have predicted a month ago that we would be in lockdown today with the supermarket shelves empty and the stock market flailing and our very controlled Western world forced to its knees. But on a day like today, we need reminding, just like David did, that this world is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to Him. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. Myself, I need reminding every day that I no longer belong to myself, but that I belong to the Lord. I was bought at a great price. I'm no longer the master and commander of what happens in Dan Bidwell's life. I'm a servant too, a slave of Jesus Christ. And all the good things in my life, all my achievements, whether it's my job or my intellect or my possessions, I don't have them because I'm somehow special. I have them because God has given them to me. And as I say this again and again, as I speak this truth to myself again and again, I'm remembering that the universe doesn't revolve around me. No, instead, God is refocusing my heart. He's refocusing my worship and my mind. He's retraining me to take my refuge in Him. Do you know, sometimes we look around us and it seems like other people have all the good things. You know, the rich, the famous, the successful, the tycoons, the, the tech billionaires. And there's something about them that we wish we had. You know, wealth or status or power or sex. And there's something attractive about those things. You know, David, he had them all. And he could have surrounded himself with the wealthy and the powerful and the beautiful people. The problem is that those people were seeking something different in life than what David wanted to seek after. See, they were chasing after other gods. And it tells us in verse 4 that they will suffer for it. I grew up in a world where we chased after those things. Uh, it is a cruel world. For all that seeking after fame and wealth and status, uh, most of us just end up with crippling debt, you know, with crippling work hours, with the crippling cost of trying to stay young and attractive. Lots of our peers, perhaps even some of us, end up chasing everything to get that promotion, uh, to get that house, to get that illicit moment of sex. And David almost came unstuck because of that last one. But here in this psalm, he, say, he swears that he will not sacrifice at that altar again. He won't take up the names of those gods on his lips. He won't entertain the fantasy of wealth or status. He won't fixate on the object of his illegitimate desire. Instead, in verse 3, he finds his delight in those who are holy, and not in the wealthy foreign kings, not in alluring foreign princesses. Instead, he says to himself, these very normal people, the ones who are trying to live holy lives for God, servants, not celebrities, they are my delight and the salt of the earth. Those are who I want to be with, David says. 
That's who I want to be like. Maybe you've been running after those things. And maybe you've been worshipping at the wrong altar. Is God speaking to you today? See, David, he uses this prayer to keep reminding himself of what is truly important in life. One of the things I notice about verse 2 and 3 and 4 is the power of words. I don't know if you're like me. I love watching the tennis. I love the drama. And in those dramatic moments, perhaps when the game is going particularly badly for somebody, uh, we often see this, the players speaking to themselves. Uh, sometimes they're reminding themselves of their game plan. Sometimes their self-talk is pretty toxic. Um, either way, self-talk is part of how we focus our minds on either good things or bad things. And in these verses, David seems to be rehearsing what he knows is true. Perhaps in the moment of temptation, he speaks truth to himself. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. David rehearses the truth that he wants to find his delight in holy people rather than pagans. He speaks these truths rather than speaking tempting words that will lead him into sin. Because words are powerful. At a time like this, what words are you using to process the stuff that's going on around us? Uh, whose words have you been listening to this week? I found the coronavirus reporting quite overwhelming. There's just so much out there. And we've been trying to keep on, on top of and keep our pulse on the, the health authority statements and the governor's statements and the county's statements. And then there's the images on the news. Well, those words and those images, they're all important. But do they drown out the words of God that say, I'm with you. I am your refuge. Apart from me, you have no good thing. The words are powerful. And they can help us keep our focus on what is real and good and true. Verses 5 and 6, they follow in a similar vein. Uh, David thinks about what he has and what he wants. Uh, he literally had a delightful inheritance in the promised land with literal boundary lines. And he had to remind himself not to covet what his neighbors have, uh, another tribe's allotment. David's portion and his cup, his blessings, they all come as the gift of the Lord. And so that rounds out verse 2 to 6. David refocuses his desire on the Lord, remembering what God has already done for him. And now in verse 7 to 10, David focuses on what God will do for him in the future, uh, his destiny. Uh, this section starts with David looking to the Lord. Verse 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Remember, David is writing this psalm because of some sort of danger. Uh, despite the danger, David praises God because he has a sense that God is guiding him and counseling him, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Perhaps David wakes in the night worrying. That happens to me sometimes. But even in the nighttime, God calms David's heart. With his eyes fixed in the right place, David will not be shaken. What about you? Where are your eyes fixed? Uh, what could shake your faith? Is it something like this situation that we find ourselves in, the kind of situation that keeps you up at night? Uh, there are many other troubles that we have in life. Hear again what David prays in verse 8. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Our God is with us. He's right by our side all the way. 
I am for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Our God is walking with us through all that this lifetime holds in store for us. And with our eyes fixed on Him, we need not fear. And that is David's experience. His heart is glad, his tongue rejoices, and his body can rest or sleep securely, verse 9. Because of this, verse 10, I think this is the high point of the psalm. In verse 10, he says this, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Now, how do we understand this verse? Uh, because it sounds like David is saying that he's confident he will not die. You know, did David have a Messiah complex? Well, <laughs> in the Old Testament, David is portrayed as a kind of Messiah. Uh, does he take it just a bit too far at this point? Does he think of himself as immortal? Well, I don't think it's that. To get to the meaning, we have to understand the concept of the realm of the dead. Or Sheol, as it says in the original language. The Old Testament refers to Sheol a number of times in Ezekiel and, and Job and Isaiah and in other places in the Psalms. Sometimes it means the grave, sometimes it means the underworld, sometimes it refers to the state of the dead. But the prevailing idea was that in Sheol, the dead were cut off from God. And that's how it's put in Psalm 88 verse 5. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. In the realm of the dead, people were cut off from God. They were separated from Him. But David understands his God as the one who shows us the path to life, verse 11. God helps David to understand that there is more to come after death than just decay. In God's presence, verse 11, David knows joy now and eternally. Even in the face of his own mortality, he could pray this psalm confidently. More than 1,000 years later, both Peter and Paul would apply these words to Jesus, the true Messiah, in Acts 2 and 13. Jesus, the one who could pray this psalm more truthfully even than David, the one who faced his own death on a cross and yet was not shaken, the one whose body was laid in a tomb but came back to life again three days later, the one who is even now seated at the right hand of God, the one who shows us the path to life in him, who will one day raise our mortal bodies to be like his immortal body. I said there might be a fourth idea for today. Well, here it is. It's delight. See, David finds his heart's delight in seeking after the Lord. Uh, we see that in verses 2 to 6. And for him, the greatest joy in life is to be in the presence of the Lord. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I've thought a lot about when David finds his joy in the Lord. Uh, when does he find his joy? If you look closely at verse 11, the second line, uh, you'll find me, uh, you'll fill me with joy in your presence. It might seem like David is anticipating that day when he's finally face to face with the Lord, when he's finally in the presence of the Lord. And on that day, he'll be filled with joy. But what about when danger surrounds us? Sometimes the Christian message can sound like pie in the sky when you die. That is, trust Jesus and one day you'll have eternal life. But in the meantime, it will be pretty terrible. Well, I don't think that's what this passage is teaching us. Uh, David finds his joy in the Lord despite the danger that he faces. 
just like Jesus delighted to do his Father's will, despite the path that it would take him on. Uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about un understanding joy in the midst of suffering. How do they find joy in the midst of terrible circumstances? Well, because all of them, for all of them, they knew that true life can be found nowhere else but in the presence of the Lord. See, to live without God is to wander around in the realm of the dead, cut off from God and cut off from life. But to walk in the presence of God with your eyes lifted to Him, that is the path of life and hope and joy and peace. So what words will fill your head this week as you navigate this coronavirus and all of its implications? What will you say to yourself in moments of fear, in moments of frustration? What will you say to yourself when you're feeling isolated and alone? Can I suggest reaching out to the one who is at your side, keeping your eyes on him and remembering his promise that he will not abandon us to the realm of the dead, but instead he'll bring us joy in his presence for all eternity. That's God's promise to us in Jesus Christ. Will you pray that God would make that true for us this week? Let's pray to finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your blessings to us, for these words which remind us that you are with us at our side, that you'll fill us with joy in this lifetime and into all of eternity. Father, pray that this week, come what may, we'll find our delight in you, we'll find our calm in you, our peace in you, and our comfort in you. We thank you that just like the Lord Jesus Christ, our mortal bodies, though we die in this lifetime, will be raised to life with him. We thank you for these promises in Christ Jesus. Amen.